coffee drinkers. Not 100% back, but definitely on the mend and uh, on the on the outward outward trend from from the virus and new base in hand um, more of a musical episode I still haven't had time to do research for the transcription one and um, or the uh, or the pedal thing those are going to take a little bit more time and a little bit more of involvement on the on the research and prep side but right now um i'm in the i'm really in the last throws the last stages we are me and chelsea of getting this new this brand new book out the bass player's guide to altered chords and scales that's uh that's what's on our plates right now um and this was this was uh it wasn't a week it was way more than weeks like eight nine ten days of covid and it was at a time when I just didn't have, I just didn't have the time to lose. To lose that much of a chunk with so many deadlines on my plate was a little bit like, oh, this is going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. When August rolls around and uh, shit just isn't finished and isn't done and isn't ready to go, and you've committed to all these things, touring and the book and just you know all, all these things that are happening, and my sister's coming to visit, and it's just like, like tons of things all happening at the same time, so. Um, it's, it's been a challenge to say the least and um, we are on top of it book is going to be out on time August 13th <coughs> I might have coughed up both lungs by then but it's out August 13th um, there are a few more pre-order copies left um, everyone who gets a pre-order copy has access to this live masterclass we're doing on launch day and um yeah, you can go get that at yannickwistala.com. Let's talk tour dates quickly before we get into into today's topic. Um, 22nd of August, London, Pizza Express, Soho. Tuesday, the 23rd, we're at Stoller Hall in Manchester. The 24th, we are at Le Note Bleu in Monaco. 25th, we're in Helsinki. And 26th, we are in Viliandi in Estonia for the Rhythm Festival. And uh, yeah, pretty psyched to be starting to formulate which that's why i really want to do the pedal episode of the podcast before i leave because that'll be really kind of in the moment and talking about which kind of which things i'm bringing with me which toys which kind of soundscapes i'm going for which groove things i want to have on the floor with me and kind of a few ideas for directions we might want to take the music uh, on the live on the live thing first time playing live with this new music from the new album from one way out um yeah so tour dates and tickets everything is available at yannaguzdala.com pre-order the altered book which comes out a week from today <coughs> oh like i said no lungs left by then but we will have some altered information and that's what i want to talk about today actually in the in the in the podcast i was like why don't i start talking about this because it's so fresh in my mind um even though i'm still doing the the barry light impression here with the deep voice um i do have like a bunch of things that i'm seeing every day in the book that i'm like oh why don't we share a few of these things (laughs) oh dear oh dear when does the mucus stop um Let's share one thing. I put a little thing about this is what this is what kind of you know spurred me on to do a podcast episode about it. it. Was like I put out this little thing on Instagram earlier on about how to get from a major scale to an altered scale by only changing one note. Uh, but ninety seconds, or well, I don't even think it was that. It was like a minute. It doesn't really give you much time to sort of dig into it. 
and open up. It's it's a really simple way of thinking about uh, of thinking about the altered scale. And if you have a major scale like E major right here, it's that classic two four one two four one three four fingering that. I'm pretty sure most people listening or anyone who plays bass knows that fingering. It's something, one of the first things you, you probably learn when it comes to scales and stuff like that. And basically all you need to do is, if you have an E major scale, just take the root note, the E, and the E up the octave and just move them up a half step and leave everything else the same. So the only note you change in the scale is E and you change it up to F and you leave every other note the same and you get F altered. So you go from E major and you move one note in that scale and you have F altered. So E major to F altered by just changing one note. And it's really, the, the, the reason I want to bring that up is because kind of the philosophy bit behind the book i want to talk about that and sort of almost like the philosophy behind most of the concepts i put out there in these books um i really think that people sell themselves short on what they already know and if they can just frame what they or what you already know what we already know if we can just frame some of that basic information i'm really talking about simple stuff as well i'm not going to say like you know, you already know this and then talk about 50 things you've never heard of before. I'm really talking about like a major scale and a minor scale. So, okay, if you're a complete beginner and you don't know your basic major and minor scales, 100%, that may be a little bit advanced for you at this point. But learning those two things is not that complicated. And if you are, if you have a hunger for knowledge and if this stuff interests you, then I definitely recommend getting those things together and and you'll be in that, uh, of that um ability um pretty much at the ground floor where you know what a major scale is you have that very classic fingering that i just talked about for it um, on bass and you'll be able to adjust it that make very small adjustments to what you already know in order to access all of this other stuff that you thought was potentially unattainable or a little complicated or you needed to know way more theory or you needed to go to school for it or study this or that this that and the other there were just a lot of there's a lot of kind of stigma i think surrounding this stuff and you hear <coughs> i do apologize for the coughing um you do hear like a uh kind of stigma surrounding like that like oh seventh mode of the melodic minor and it's kind of it ends up sounding a little bit elitist and I think it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know, and I, I think that's sort of my philosophy behind a lot of the stuff I put in these books. Like I remember Chordal Harmony, for instance, was, was the first book I worked on uh, with Chelsea. And the first exercise in that book is just playing a major scale in tenths. You know, the first exercise in that book isn't like, okay, what's the Neapolitan... Uh, you know, uh, flat two over the major third in the key of C minor, for instance. It's not like some complicated shit that you you really probably have to have studied some stuff for. It's like the most basic thing that most people should be able to do. It's literally a major scale. So if you can play G major, and if you can play G major from the root to the root and the third to the third, so G to G and B to B, and you can play those notes together, you can play tenths, and you can play a major scale. 
sorry, but I'm I'm hearing this in the headphones, and it's not the greatest setup. I literally just plugged the the XLR into the Zoom recorder here, so this is by far uh, my least dialed in sound. And obviously, it's a new instrument, so I'm still not kind of comfortable with it yet. So please excuse the uh, the sort of thrown together nature of the sound on this one. It's really not about that. It's about listening to the information I think and taking on board the fact that you should maybe give yourself a little more credit for knowing some stuff uh, than, than maybe you do and I think with a few minor adjustments you can actually f- discover that you know you, that maybe you don't know it yet and you don't you can't maybe uh, maybe you don't know the application of the altered scale yet but the, the the realization that light bulb moment that happens when you're like oh I was one note away from an altered scale this whole time because I knew my major scales. Holy shit. If only I'd known that. So what I'm really trying to do is is have as many of those light bulb moments as possible. Make them varied. You know, not everyone is going to think or, or visualize or hear things the same way. So it's important to be able to come at it from from a few different angles to, to, to make sure you kind of include everyone. Um, that's, that's one way of thinking about it, right? That that major scale and changing the root note up a half step and you get this whole completely different sound it's now it's uh of course you shift keys it's not like you're turning e major uh, an e major scale into an e altered scale by moving one note don't don't get it confused with that at all you are taking a, a major scale which is e and moving one note in that one to get the altered the altered scale of f so it's not quite as simple as, oh, you're in E, you just have to move one note from a major scale and then you get E altered. Um, but it is taking something very familiar to most of us and changing it very slightly and getting this, opening this door to a whole new world of sounds. And it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to think about theory. You don't have to know all these modes and, and, and like chordal analysis and all this kind of stuff. Mm. You do need a lot of liquid, though, I'll tell you that. Um, and so there are a few ways I frame it in the book about how to access, like how to get into the altered scale. And we, we do a bunch of work on melodic minor. And the reason I approach it from melodic minor is not only because altered, the altered scale is the seventh mode of the melodic minor. It's it's actually more because you probably know the, the foundation of a, of a minor scale already. You know, you might not know the application of an altered scale. You might not know the altered scale already, but you probably know the the, the the melodic minor scale that's related to it. It's just a question of pairing those things up and giving you that access to the new sound. So, yeah, you you, you know, I'm guessing like if you're if you're in D minor, for instance, you can get from the root to the fifth and back it, it, with a with a minor third. One, two, minor third, four, five, and come back down again, right? And also, knowing if you don't know what a melodic minor scale is and you do know what a major scale is, once again, you can change just one note and you have access to this new scale. So if you don't know what melodic minor is, you do know what a major scale is, play your major scale. Let's stay in D, why not? Let's play D major. Clear as day, right? There's no doubt about what that is. That is D major. It's that 2, 4, 1, 2, 4, 1, 3, 4, uh, fingering on the left hand. Now, again, you're going to change one note and you have access to melodic minor. You just change the third from a major third to a minor third. 
That's all melodic minor is. It's a major scale with a minor third. Here's the major scale. We're in D, so the major third is, is F sharp. Now we change that F sharp to an F natural and play all the rest of the notes the same. And we have melodic minor. So that's another example I use in the book. Like you, you are just so close to having access to all of this stuff and you really don't have to know much more than a major scale, something that is probably... I know not everyone is at that level yet, but I'm going to say 80 to 90% of people who are checking out the book and who are interested and, and just know what altered vocabulary is and are maybe trying to check out jazz and improvisation and, and understand the range of their instrument a little better, probably going to know what a major scale is. So I've just proved with two tiny exercises that you are one note away from uh, altered and you're one note away from um, melodic minor by just knowing a major scale. And then, of course, we access all of the other things that come with it. it we get into the fact that the, <coughs> oh, the left lung is starting to collapse. Now, we get into the fact that, the, of course, the altered scale is the seventh mode of the melodic minor. Okay, if you're sit sitting there asking, like, I've heard you say that eight times already in this podcast, what the fuck does that mean? What is the seventh mode of the freaking melodic minor? Okay, let me explain it. Super simple. Again... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate <laughs> just how close you are. Um, we're going to do that with... Now, now we have access to that melodic minor, for instance. Let's do it in... Um, why don't we go to... Let's go E-flat melodic minor. So again, if you, if you didn't know melodic minor until a few minutes ago, that would have been E-flat major. And simply changing that third, that G natural, to a G flat and making it E flat minor melodic E flat melodic minor sorry the brain is still a little foggy I gotta say I know there are gonna be like I'm gonna call something B when it's actually B flat I apologize in advance go um, fact check me leave comments somewhere I, I don't know where you do that on a podcast but I, I, I know the brain is still a little bit virus virused out and foggy so there are gonna be some mistakes in today's podcast but at least what I'm playing is accurate. I know that I haven't lost that. I haven't lost any of my faculties with my playing. Not yet. Anyway, give it time. So, so we have access to our, our melodic minor there, E flat, right? So when we sustain an E flat minor, uh, uh, let's do a, a tenth. So we have a very simple outline of E flat minor. So what it means when you talk about the seventh mode of the melodic minor is playing that same melodic minor scale from the seventh note of the scale instead of the root. So you drop down a half step and instead of playing it from E flat to E flat, you play it from D to D, but all the same notes in between. And that's your altered scale. So it's just playing it from the seventh to the seventh. That's what the seventh mode of the melodic minor means. That is what it means when you hear people talk about the altered scale being the seventh mode of the melodic minor. And it means there's another access point as well. It means if you see D7 altered, for instance, or any, it doesn't, it actually doesn't, it doesn't, let's, let's say that any altered chord you see, we're just going to use D as an example here, any altered chord you see, 
you then know that all you have to do is go up a half step from the root and play that melodic minor scale and you're in altered territory. Um, so if we sustain that D altered chord, D7 altered, and I'm just playing E flat melodic minor. And that's the sound. Doesn't sound very musical. Those are just the notes that are available in the confines of of this harmony. Actually being musical with this and working on phrasing and time and sound, all those other things is, is actually the the far bigger task, but it's the and also the far more important one as well. You know, I, I talk a little bit in the beginning of the book about all these kind of ways to open the door to step over the threshold and be like oh you know what i really wasn't that far away from from altered this whole time i just needed to understand it a little better but the, the and of course we go deeper with it we talk about triads and and minus seven arpeggios and all kinds of things that are both diatonic and non-diatonic within the scale all these devices that you that you can use to explore that sound but the real work, um, the thing that helps you be musical, the thing that gives you an identity is the immersion in the sound. There's, you know, the book is, is hefty on information. And I've, I've created this library of vocabulary in the back as well. You know, if you know any of my books before, you know that I, I'm a big fan of doing everything in 12 keys. <clears throat> and normally that means taking one phrase and doing that in 12 keys. Well, what I've done this time is I haven't repeated anything at all. The, the, the vocabulary is in 12 different keys, but every single line is different. So I, I wanted to give a little more, I guess, a, a little more value, a little more depth in that department because it's that part of the book, it's that part of the process that I you know, hold, um, hold most important. Um, when I'm working on any of this vocabulary, when I'm trying to add any kind of sound, doesn't matter if it's altered or otherwise, and when I, whenever I'm trying to add a sound or some vocabulary to my playing, that's the, the part of the process which is, to me, most important. The immersion in the sound, the transcription, which we'll get to in another episode, also doesn't have to be stigmatized or difficult or any of those things that I often hear talked about, like, oh my God, transcription's so hard, and it, it is this, and it has to be that, and all these kind of rules and restrictions and limitations people put on it when they talk about it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all very well having these little things like, Oh, I was only one note away from altered. That's awesome. If it opens the door, you know, and it starts to, to get you to hear like, Oh wow, it's that close. And now, now I'm in, now you're in the room, you know, you're in the room with the, I, I don't want to say you're in the room with the cool cats really, because that puts some kind of elitist thing on it, but you're in the room of people who can hear and communicate with that language, let's say. And that's maybe a step up from where you were before. And if, if this is what you're interested in and you're heading towards and you, you're trying to better yourself as a musician, regardless of what your situation is, you know, super pro, you know, plays gigs all over the world or, you know, plays for fun on a Saturday afternoon sometimes. You put it all in context. Please make sure you do that. You know, don't don't put so much pressure on yourself that you have to know all of this stuff. That's kind of why the book is designed that way. It's because I know not everyone is first as fucking insane as I am. So I can't expect that of people because um, it's just not realistic. And I want to make sure everyone has access to the information. So that's why there are varying degrees of 
engagement in the process and different ways to open the door and to step into the room and be like, oh, you know what? It's not that complicated. So, yeah, there's a little hand holding in the beginning and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know, pulling as many people along for the journey as possible and opening up all those little those little ideas that will help you better understand it. So hopefully you, you understand what an altered scale is. <coughs> we talk about, of course, it's, it's altered chords and scales the whole book is about. So that's very important, the, the harmony and, and how you construct chords. And there's all sorts of analysis about that and what tensions are used and why. And, you know, there's a, there's a ton of shit in there. If you check out the book, you're going to read it all. I'm not about to read the entire thing to you right now. Um, but I do want to show you, like, give an example of that kind of light bulb moment uh, I, I guess it's going to be for some people where we have that E flat being sustained, E flat minor. Okay, so that feels to me totally feels minor. Specifically melodic minor, of course. Now, if we, I'm going to play the exact same material, but we're going to play it with the D uh, altered chord, D7 altered sustained. Now we have this feeling of, at least to my ear, and this is what I want to get you to, re uh, to, to notice and to start to feel and to identify, is that when we have this, um, this D chord, this D7 chord, this dominant chord, of course, it can go to a multitude of places. It doesn't have to go to one. But just as an example, let's say we're heading... That feels quite natural to me. A five going to one. Feels like it's coming home. I don't really like that one chord voicing, but... That's what that's one place we can take it. We can take it to one. Of course, it doesn't have to go there. You go up a half step to E flat major seven. There are so many places that are, you know, deceptive cadences. It doesn't have to be a perfect cadence. A five going to one water break. Ah. Oh, it really can go in a ton of places. In the back of the book I put a ton of um uh chord sequences where it where there are some unconventional cadences where there are altered chords involved in chord sequences where it doesn't go to the relative to the one chord to the tonic so important to to know that and just important to hear how straight minor it sounds when you have when you have the e flat and then you switch it out for the d7 altered Ah, get the right notes, Gwizdala. I'm playing, literally playing an E-flat minor triad there. But it's over a D. And then, of course, there are all those nice resolution points. It's just, it, it, that, that feels a little on the unmusical side where I'm just forcing the issue. But when you... When you, when you have these resolution points, it doesn't have to all be out. And there can be inside stuff on the five chord, um, but also really 
I like to create attention in the five chord and resolve to the one and find all those connective moments. You know, what what are the common tones, for instance, between the five chord and the one chord <coughs> when the when the vocabulary you're playing is altered. So that's yet another thing we talk about in the book, lots of tension and release and resolution points and, and how to work on that stuff. But um but it's the basics. Don't forget the basics. Don't forget how simple it can be and give yourself credit um uh, maybe a little bit more credit than you have in the past for what you know already and and have some confidence in the fact that you're like well you know guizdala said that shit if you know a major scale you you're kind of dealing but <laughs> um you could be you really could be with a few of these minor adjustments it could really start to help open up your ear and then i think that's the most important thing to me like if if I wanted to to describe success in talking to you about this, it would be if if you could start to identify that when you were listening to music. That's the that's the ultimate goal. It's not just the regurgitation or the repetition of it for yourself, or even at some point the freedom of being able to do that completely musically and improvised and not playing licks and really being in the moment. It's it's really also about being able to react you know, in real time to other musicians around you and support them, you know, and uh, you, you'll find it in the most amazing places as well. This is not something that's reserved for, you know, the altered scale and the altered chord is not something that's reserved for sort of jazz snobbery or or, or just this kind of elite club at all. I mean, if okay, it's predominantly played by jazz musicians, but you can find kind of a ton of instances of, of these kind of chords in pop music, in, in modern classical music. I mean, it's, it's, it's really all over the place. And then when you get those combinations of, of great musicians from the jazz world working with, you know, pop legends, and um, there have been some super famous instances of that. All you got to do is look at Michael Brecker's discography, for instance, and you'll see that he played on... Um, did he play on, was it Candy, I think, is the, is the solo I love, uh, by Cameo. And, I mean, there's some ripping altered slash melodic minor, however you want to look at it, on, on that record. There's a Cameo album. It doesn't get much more 80s than Cameo. Like, every 80s show on VH1 probably featured Cameo at some point. It's like having the 80s without having MC Hammer or something. You know what I mean? It's like... It, it can. It's not just reserved for jazz nerds, um, and you'll find you know great. You know, look at people like James Taylor, who uh, who I think are super hip, amazing musicians, of course, and they are very open to work with people like La uh, Larry Goldings on keyboards, for instance. <coughs> You're going to hear Larry play altered. All the time, he he makes some amazing reharmonizations of James Taylor's song, especially on the duo tour they did. And you'll hear it when they get a little loose on the gig live, you know, and, and things start to stretch. So it's not a jazz snobbery thing exclusively. Don't get me wrong; there is an element of that. I'm not about to sit up here and say, "Oh no, all jazz people are cool," and uh, we're just totally open mind. We, I don't want to put myself in that bracket actually, even though I've spent most of my life doing it. But yeah, there, there's that definitely goes on. There is some snobbery, and uh, and I've experienced that in a big way. 
But I also think uh, it was in the right place at the right time and it was completely applicable, you know. Um, I think if it's, you know, fuck, I don't know, YouTubers or Instagrammers or something just doing it for the views and stuff, then fuck that. Um, and most of those cats don't know what the, half of them don't know what they're talking about anyway when it comes to that. It's all just, they read it off a Wikipedia page and none of it has come from experience of actually doing it or actually doing the work. When you peel back the layers, a lot of the people who might be giving you a hard time or being jazz snobs, I'd hazard a guess that at least half of them are just full of shit. So trust yourself always it's like a like a dentist you know if a dentist opens up your mouth and says bro you have 17 cavities you know let's get those bad boys filled it's like the first thing you're going to do is go and get a second opinion right because you got to do some research because it's like a hundred thousand dollars right there and uh you probably want to employ the same the same thing when you when you're scooting around and swiping and scrolling with music and uh trying to better yourself and find educational material you probably want to do that you want to look at some some credentials perhaps like yeah, this motherfucker actually ever played a gig you know they've got like 50 30 second instagram videos which are super highly produced and with fancy lights and all the rest of it and i'm not talking about anyone in particular here i'm, I'm talking about an entire it's like a genre you know it's a wave of, of what goes on in in that world now and it's something i try not to get too involved in because i'm just too fucking old first of all and i'm, I'm not you know I, I, it's not a competition i have no interest in competing with anyone uh in that world i do my thing and some people like it that's awesome and I try and be as honest as possible. And as I'm doing now, encourage you to, it's kind of a cliche these days with how you know, crypto took over the world and do your own research, bro, and how people do that with the pandemic and they basically read bullshit on Facebook and you know keep scrolling until someone has the same opinion as them uh, and call it research. But no, do, you know, look around, listen to some, see, that's the thing with, with, with music. You can listen to some great musicians you know, like really great music, like people who it's like undisputed legends, like go that far. Not some fucking 27 year old who's got 500,000 followers or some shit and you're looking at the numbers rather than listening to the music to make your decision. Go to a real, like do the research, you know, go to a real legend, listen to how that sounds. Listen to how it makes you feel. Like if, again, context, if you're into it, if it's something you're trying to, uh, further educate yourself with and get better at as a musician we're talking today the particular lane is altered vocabulary for instance but you could apply that to all of jazz improvisation for instance it doesn't really um, matter which lane of the harmony it is just honest performances of legendary musicians and and listen to that listen to miles davis in the 50s um, listen to Thelonious Monk in the 40s and, and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie like those names that maybe you're like oh that's that sounds I've heard that a lot before and that's maybe that's a little cliche and that's oh no that's not cliche the way people associate with those people is cliche but what they did as not just a musical but a political and social movement um, in their respective eras is not a cliche at all it is something um, that you may not like even it may not be your thing at all but get, give it a listen i highly recommend uh trying to get as much information as possible before making any kind of decision um and and whether you you feel like oh you know what 
Charlie Parker really wasn't for me or isn't for me right? I don't like that I'm not drawn towards that sound I highly recommend giving it a listen you know it's it's one of the few things I took away from Berkeley from one of my teachers from Hal Crook was um man I'd love to tell the story with the names but it's fuck is that would be a rough one man I haven't seen these cats in a minute but let's just say there was someone that wasn't really paying attention um, for the for an entire semester. We had an ensemble with Hal Crook. And Hal Crook is a legend of teaching, of improvisation, of the trombone, of innovation, just pretty intense personality, let's just say that. <coughs> and uh, a lot of your cats that you know and that you love were were his students. You know, I'm talking like Seamus Blake, Mark Turner, um, Roy Hargrove, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Matthew Garrison. Um, I mean, the list is long. Like my entire crew of people that were, were, were like my era at Berkeley, um, Vardanov Sepien, uh, Ferenc Nemeth, uh, Walter Smith, Kendrick Scott, you know, the real, the real cats, you know, the, the cats of each era were, were really impacted by him. And um, there's one cat, and some people just, you know, didn't get it. And this one cat I was in an ensemble with who I haven't seen since. So that's 25 years. Um, and haven't heard of since. So maybe just stop being, I'm not even going to say the instrument. Maybe just stop being a musician. Um, and how was just like, first of all, he chewed him out, which was good. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I was in an era where people weren't so afraid of getting canceled or fired because they, told the truth like you're good you're good you suck you suck you know it's not like oh man yeah great cool which is kind of what it feels like it is now like everyone's just begging to be told how good they are as a student which is kind of a weird it's kind of a weird place to be in but i appreciate the fact that Hal would say how it was and you knew no uncertain terms it was like highly motivating i think for me anyway and of course i think it doesn't work for every personality i think probably a lot of people got destroyed um, as a result, well, we got some interference going on. That's interesting. Is that the phone? Ooh, wow. Well, at least that was in my headphones. So hopefully it wasn't on the track. I'll see if I can do something in post if it was. Um, yeah, and I, I totally understand that that is not for everyone. Um, but there is a certain amount of, I think, necessity at the very high end of, at the really sharp end of the stick when it comes to the real cats, you know, when it comes to the, the higher performance and the higher thinking and more innovative and forward moving improvisers of each generation, I think there is something to being brutally honest with them as students. If you, if you respect them and want them to learn and want them to understand where the deficiency is and how they can improve that. And if you get told, man, shut the fuck up and you suck, once in a while and you have the stones to deal with it, I think that's actually quite healthy for, for, for a lot of people. Um, anyway, I'm digressing. The point was about gathering information, about trying to find as much as you can and, 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 and try things out that perhaps might not be something you're initially like super enamored by. <coughs> and if that's Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, try it out. You know, like it's... Um, Thelonious Monk is not everyone's cup of tea, but 
man, there's a lot to be learned if you, if you, uh, if you dig in there. And if you try it and you still not, don't dig it, you can move on and, and figure something else out. But this one cat in the Hal Crook Ensemble spent the whole semester just like doing his own thing. And it's like, why are you there? Like, why are you spending this money to go to school to be with the the elite teacher, the number one person that everybody wants to get that, that ensemble. That is the most difficult. You have to get the highest ensemble rating, this little four-digit code. I think you have to have a minimum of like all sevens and each digit means something different. Each digit is like improvisation and time and sound and sight reading or something. Each, each digit stood for four things and you had to have out of eight in each one, you had to have a minimum of seven across the board. And I remember Danny Moe. You cast no Danny Moe, I'm sure. He's online and doing stuff. Uh, I see him from time to time doing lessons and stuff. Danny Moe, the bass player, he was my uh, ensemble rating auditioner the day I arrived at Berkeley in 1998. And all I wanted to do was get into Hal Crook's ensemble. And he gave me straight sevens across the board. I, I ran out of that room like, holy shit, it's on. Like, I can, I can actually, like, get some shit done here because I wasn't planning on staying in school for years on end. I wanted to get in, see what the, see what the hell was up, and then get out as fast as possible and go on the road. So um, I know I'm digressing on the story, but basically why get in that position? Like, you do all that work and you get in that position and then you don't, you know, follow the teacher's kind of suggestions. <laughs> At least try, even if you disagree. I think that's respectful to the teacher, respectful you know maybe more importantly respectful to yourself as well um kind of completing the circle so all that to say um definitely make sure you're listening to as much stuff as you can even if you're not trying to be mr or mrs jazz superstar improviser you know completely fluent in 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 all genres of jazz and, and jazz language and, and and please don't like get this confused like fucking so many people talk about bebop as the be all and end all but first of all you should if you really want to play that shit you should be listening to bark and and playing that music from hundreds of years ago so uh one second mi amor i'm always podcasting everybody's podcasting is that the new theme tune for the podcast <laughs> Okay. You want to say hi? No. You don't want to say hi? Okay, well, you're standing like 12 inches from the mic. Hi. <laughs> okay, that's it, huh? I'm to give you, a kiss and say hello. you came to give me a kiss and say hello. Well, that's nice. Hi. Very nice. We're wrapping things up here. Okay, I get the salute. Okay, that's it. Nice, nice little, nice little visit. Um, it was, I say, Bebop. It's the, yeah, the, I, I don't know why that's become like a jazz school thing maybe or people talk about that shit like way too much. Like it's the only fucking genre and mastering bebop or swallowing the omnibook in 15 keys is is the only it's, it's fucking bullshit. It's a massive compartment of jazz improvisation, but that, that was in the 40s. You know how many years have passed since then? And what came before that with King Oliver and Louis Armstrong and just all of the <laughs> innovators that were around before bebop. <coughs> so 
don't please, please don't get hung up on that so much. Um, and also don't get the Parker Omni book. Big waste of time. If you really want to get into that music, you should just be listening to it and transcribing the shit. And yes, some of it is fast. And when you can't transcribe the fast parts, it means you're not ready to yet. That's it. Simple as it's as simple as that. Um, but that's a whole other world for the transcription episode that I hope to bring you before I leave on tour. Um, yeah, just be be aware of like what happened like right after the forties when you get into the fifties and Miles Davis' birth of the call and kind of blue and just a. I mean, 1958 alone, uh, it just doesn't sound anything like bebop. Like, check out, like, Abby Lincoln Records. And what did I see today that was released? Shit, was it... I want to say it was Coltrane Sound was released January 1st, 1958. That's a very uh, sketchy, unreferenced... <laughs> I gotta look it up. Coltrane. Uh, no, Coltrane jazz right coltrane jazz album yeah let's see when that was released come on be good no total bullshit so it can't have been that that was in 61 so there was something that i was listening to today that i saw was released on january 1st 1958 and i was just like holy shit that record as well <coughs> like that year alone <clears throat> had some of really like the greatest jazz records um ever ever made um you, you had obviously miles davis kind of blue um giant steps coltrane giant steps was put out uh i want to say portrait and jazz bill evans um the oh my god uh a uh, 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 portrait in no 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 uh uh by pork pie hat mingus R. um holy shit classic um charlie mingus record art blakey holiday for skins um uh, milt jackson john coltrane i want to say bags and train um then there was a blue mitchell record i forget the name of it that i loved i transcribed a bunch of shit off there tune call oh that, that's where i learned how to play the way you look tonight i think um there's an abby lincoln record called abby is blue uh which came out in 1958 there's also an, a record called <coughs> what is that is it uh dream of the turtles or something abby lincoln i do appreciate the ability to research stuff so i'm not bullshitting you um a turtle's dream and when was that record i love this record because it has pat metheny on it okay 1995 so she put out a record in 58 the same year as all those classics and then she put out this absolute banger of a record called a turtle's dream in um in 1995 uh, there's a track on there with Pat Metheny called Throw It Away. Beautiful modern sounding record with Abby Lincoln sounding absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, that record. Oh, Christ. Time Out came out, I think, in, in 1958 as well. Shit, I got to. That's such a big record. I got to check. Uh, Brube, Time Out, Brubeck. Tell me it was 1958. Is my brain still working? ah oh, my bad no that was 1959 sorry sorry can't get them all right um but yeah just i hope you get where i'm going with this there just so many things happened after bebop there are really 
hugely important eras of jazz that grew out of bebop as bebop grew out of the swing era and everything that came before it. Um, so don't sleep on like Coleman Hawkins and Winton Kelly and <coughs> Ben Webster and, and Jerry Mulligan and um, Sonny Rollins and uh, Tommy, you know, Tommy Flanagan, Max Roach and Cannonball. Uh, I did the list is, is, it's really kind of endless. And that's why I put a pretty solid listening list in the New Altered book. I, I try and do that with most of the books just to say, hey, this is where I heard it. You know, it's not it's not the, the, the definitive guide to what is jazz. These are just the places I heard this. Now, we're talking about Altered with this book, for instance. That's where I heard this information first. And some of it's old. And then some of it's like Mike Stern and John Schofield. You know, it's not all Freddie Hubbard and Joe Henderson, for instance. There's, I, I came to Bebop through Mike Stern. Um, it's kind of a prime example of being like, oh, I love this thing that I'm like really attached. I like loved Mike Stern. That was my hero. Still is. I mean, Christ. Um, but but in the, in the nineties, that was what I was listening to. You know, and I was transcribing those things. I was like, whoa, this is the greatest shit I've ever heard. And it was super inspiring. And then as I, as I got to Berkeley and I was around all these jazz musicians, they were like, well, did you know that like all of this other shit came before it? And that's why Mike Stern plays the way he plays. And that gave me some perspective. That gave me the ability to go back and be like, oh, shit, Stern's playing this Dizzy Gillespie lick from 1944 or some shit on his record in 1997 that I just transcribed. And then, wow, okay, I go back and then I start to, it all started to unfold. Like, again, almost going back to the first thing I said in the beginning of the podcast, if you have a major scale, change one note, you've got altered. You were so close to knowing altered and perhaps didn't know it. And it's the same on, on with the transcription thing and with how you find your way to the music. We're talking about jazz here, but it doesn't matter what the music is. Most Most music has some kind of lineage. Maybe not every form of music right now has a 70, 80, 90 year history. Um, in the case of classical music, not everything has like, you know, a three, 400 year history like classical music, for instance. So, <coughs> but there are generally some influences that you can go back and check out that can really inform you like, oh shit, this person took all those things, they did that with it, they put this new sound, they put all these things together, and holy shit, they sound original. There's no one that sounds like Mike Stern. You hear two notes, and that's it. It's Mike. You hear Pat Metheny, two notes. It's Pat Metheny. You hear John Coltrane, two notes. It's John Coltrane. Now, it's crazy how much John Coltrane sounds like Dexter Gordon, but you still know them apart immediately. You know, like Coltrane took that stuff from Dexter Gordon and did something else with it. Um, so it's important. I think it's really important to go back and, and look at all those people that, that innovated and where the people you love now that are perhaps more modern are coming from and you yourself like what do you know you know something you don't know nothing like don't ever sell yourself short like oh i don't know that yeah uh, you do if you're listening to some stuff you you don't maybe you don't know it yet but you know it something in you this you've listened to something enough that you're like oh i i like that even if it's just i like that I can identify with that. That is the thing that draws me in. Maybe that's an altered chord. Okay, maybe you don't know all the technical details and the theoretical background to it, but you know something about it. And that's enough. That's enough to start. And then, you know, whether it's through me or whoever you find, you can start to unlock things and keep it simple. You don't have to get really 
crazy involved and fill your head with all this theory, which if performing is your goal, theory is only going to get in the way eventually. Like You cannot be thinking about these things when you play if you hope to give an honest performance. So on that note, last sip. Mm. Oh, so refreshing. Um, like I said, the author book, com. A few pre-order copies are left. Just a few. I think maybe only 20 copies left because I can't have thousands of people at the at the live Harmony Masterclass, which the pre-order gets you access to. So grab <coughs> those last few copies before they're gone. And tour dates. We've got to move some tickets in Manchester and Helsinki. London is going great right now. The festival in, in Estonia is the festival, so that's kind of self-sufficient. I think uh, Le Note Bleu, I've never played there before, but it's Monaco. I think it has a pretty cool passing crowd and just a vibe kind of built in. Manchester and Helsinki are the two. I'm really taking the risk on here in terms of, you know, stepping out there and saying, okay, let's do it. I'll accept all the risk and we'll sell these tickets. So we've got to sell some tickets there. Manchester uh, and Helsinki, the 23rd and the 20. Fifth, respectively. Um, all tickets are available at yannickwasdala.com. And especially for the Helsinki tickets, they're only available at my website because I really am doing everything for that. It's like kind of a, almost like a private hire thing where I'm getting the venue, I'm selling all the tickets and I'm like the, the middle person, the promoter, the booker, the ticket salesperson, the meet and greet, you name it, it's all happening. And there's a little clinic happening for the students at the school there at Metropolia the music department for the bass player so it's going to be super fun and of course i'm psyched to come to helsinki for the first time as a band leader uh that has been a long time coming and has been on my wish list for a very long time so i'm really psyched to to do it um i think we've got to move about 60 tickets that's it it's not a huge number it's like filling one set at the 55 bar so that it's sold out i think we've got to move 60 tickets in helsinki so if you're there if you know someone there that you think might dig the music um hit them up and uh, send them to yannickwasdala.com. I've been leaking a little bit of stuff from the album. Basically, the album was split up into four EPs. The third one and the fourth one are going to have to be combined and released next week because of the COVID thing and the delays. Apologize in advance about that. The whole album will be available before we go on the road. But I decided to put out one video of one song from each of the four sections of the album. So three are out on YouTube if you're curious about what that looked like and what that sounded like what you might be actually in in uh, in store to hear if you come and check us out in a, in a couple of weeks in Europe, then go to the YouTube channel. <coughs> All right, that's it. The voice has given up. Oh, thanks for sticking around and uh, catch you cats on the next one. Mm-hmm.